0: Welcome to the Woodridge Baptist Church podcast. For more information about what's happening in the life of our church, visit our website at www.woodridge.org. Enjoy the podcast. Okay, are you ready to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 4? Let's do it. So here's a little bit of a reminder. Maybe you're a guest and you haven't been around. I just want to fill you in. So there's a guy named Paul, and Paul writes a letter to a church in Corinth. Actually, over the course of time, he ended up writing four letters to this church in Corinth. He had planted this church. And after having been there for about a year and a half, uh, he leaves. And this was kind of Paul's thing. He was a church planter. So he would put the church down, and then he would establish leadership there, make sure that it was solid, and then out he would go. And he would go to plant another church and to establish its leadership there, and then out he would go. And he would... Everywhere this guy went, he was putting churches in places that churches weren't existing. We need more people like Paul. Can I agree? Okay, now here's the other thing. Uh, This church in Corinth started having issues. So Paul leaves, and then they start to somewhat implode on themselves after a while. They were fighting with each other. They had doctrinal divisions within themselves, and it just wasn't going well. So someone from the house of Chloe ends up writing a letter to Paul saying, hey, this place is a mess. Could you, could you give us some counsel here on how to write the ship? And so he writes this letter back to them. Now, some, one of the things that they were dealing with was, it seems, that there was a popularity contest, meaning that people had attached themselves to per- certain personalities or certain figures And they would align themselves with them over and opposed to just the general work of the church. And you know this because it says some of you are saying that you are of Apollos. Some of you are saying that you are of Paul. Some of you are saying you are of Cephas, which is is Peter. Some of you are like super religious and you're saying that you are of the Messiah, which is Jesus. And by the way, they were the most toxic group of the whole bunch of the ones that were saying, yeah, we're the Jesus people. They were the most toxic group of the whole bunch. Now, here's what they would do. What they would do is, in order to, if they were of Paul, like they were a Paul person, what they would do is they would, they would attack somebody like Apollos, who had followed Paul up because they wanted their guy to be the guy, right? It's very, there's a word of warning here on the front end, and the word of warning is don't do that. I mean, absolutely, there shouldn't be a church in the world that is built around a personality, Every single church in the world should be built on Jesus. Every single one. So if heaven forbid, I have said this at every church that I've been at, If Heaven forbid I fall over dead on a Tuesday. Here's, here's all I would want to hear out of the church. we got to find somebody to be preaching on Sunday. But here's what I wouldn't want to hear out of anybody. Well, that's it. Because there's nothing about this place that's built on me. I, I am here Like Paul was there and Apollos coming after him, I have been given the charge, the stewarding of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's not something that God said, only I can do. So for whatever happens to me, so be it. But in the meantime, let's be faithful. So i give you all that background so that you can understand what he's talking about here in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 6 through 14. Let's, let's just take a look at it. Here's what he says in verse 6, because some people, by the way, remember I said Paul was being attacked by people? Hard to believe, people in leadership being attacked, but it was happening to him. He says, now, brothers and sisters, I've applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit so that you may learn from us the meaning of the saying, nothing beyond what is written, so that you can learn something about a saying. Now, what is written for Paul, by the way, he says, for what is written, for what is written for Paul, usually he's talking about the word. It's it's the Bible. Uh, let's Let's stay true to the word. But it also probably means a little bit more than that. It might refer to a Corinthian proverb referring to rules of arbitration between warring groups. Literally groups within a church that are fighting with each other. He says, Let's let's arbitrate this and let's get past it. Or, or another thing that it could mean is this. It could also apply to children who literally trace letters so that they learn how to write. Did you ever teach your kids how to write? I mean, Wendy and I did. We taught them the alphabet. We taught them all this. We taught them things in drawing and whatnot. It's like that. It's like people that don't know how to do something have to be shown how to do it. This is exactly what Paul is talking about. In other words, he says... I'm going to show you how to put an end to bitter rivalries that you've created within your own church so that you can get back to what the church was started for. I know that this sounds crazy that they would even struggle with this because we don't nowadays, right? I mean, you never see anything like this. You know what's interesting? You know, I come here after Greg Wallace served for over 25 years at this church and did... An awesome job. Do you know what's kind of a sad story? You know, I come here, Greg and I become very, very close friends. Here's the sad part. That's unusual. Isn't that sad? It it just shouldn't be like that. There shouldn't be this contest between one pastor to another, one church to another. It should be that every church is invested in the good so that the mission of the church can be accomplished period. That's it. But Paul's like, well, I got to correct you. So here's what he does. Paul gets snarky and I like it. <laughs> I like it. Jesus gets spicy at times. Did you know that? Paul's no different and I'll prove it. Take a look. Here's what he says going on in verse six. He goes, the, the purpose and he's going to ask three questions. That's kind of a jab. Like it's like a kidney punch. The purpose is that none of you will be arrogant. I know that's not any of us, but still. The purpose is that none of you will be arrogant, favoring one person over another. And here he goes. Who who makes you so superior? What do you have that you didn't receive? If in fact you did receive it, why do you boast as if you you hadn't received it? Three questions that he really wasn't looking for an answer from. He was using them to make a point. Everything that you got was given to you. So, why are you so arrogant? Why are you so boastful? Dial it back a notch. He even goes on to say this in verse 8. He says, You're already full. He doesn't mean it. You're already full. You're already rich. You've begun to reign as kings without us. And I wish you did reign so that I could reign with you. Now, here's why he says this. Like I said, Paul's being a little bit spicy to this group, right? But it's a needed correction. He's being hard. I don't think he's necessarily being harsh. Notice what he says here. He goes, you, you guys act like you're full, you're wealthy, you act like you're royal. Most Corinthians weren't wealthy. Most of the Corinthians certainly weren't royal. Remember that, that saying? He said, you, you're already full. Here's why he says this. It's because something they, they were believing and something that they were teaching in the church that was false. That does happen, by the way. People do say false things in churches, it happens. You should even test the spirit of my teaching every single Sunday and test it compared to the word of God. You should, but here's what he says. He says, you're already full. Here's what he means by that. It means that your stomach is overloaded from overeating. Have you ever done that before? Hello, Thanksgiving, (laughs) right? You walk away from the table and you're like, I am about to die. I couldn't eat anything else, right, maybe a little dessert, something like that. But here's really what he's getting at. They had, now these are big words, so hang in there. What they held to is what is called overrealized realized eschatology. Did y'all get that down? I know you did. Here's what it basically means. This is when someone expects that the eschatological hope, that's just a big word for meaning the hope of what happens at the end. Does that make sense? the hope of what is yet to come, the hope of glory, that's eschatology. When someone expects that all of that is actually present to you here and now, right now. They might even say something like this. Well, you can see because I'm somewhat affluent that God is blessing me. However, if what you find in your life is that you're constantly dealing with hardship, that you're constantly dealing with struggle, or that you're constantly dealing with financial difficulties, that's probably a statement that you're not living under the blessing of God. That's the kind of theology that was going on in the church in Corinth. And Paul says, well, that's just wrong. Just so you know, we actually have modern-day equivalents of this right now. And it's called the prosperity gospel. Ever heard it? It's called the prosperity gospel. That if you really were living in line and in step with Jesus, then you wouldn't be suffering all of these things. Because he want, what he wants for you and what he has portioned for you is to experience the fullness of what heaven would bring right now. So if you're struggling, something's up. And the something that's up is probably your lack of faith. Have you ever heard anything like that? So Paul's responding to this. And he goes, what am I doing wrong here? And what am I I doing wrong here? Here, Here's what he says in verses 9 to 12. He goes, well, let's take a look at my life for a second here. This is Paul. This is the founder of this church in Corinth. He goes, "Let's, let's take a look at me. Let's see what's going on in my life. He goes, I think God has displayed us, the apostles in last place, like men condemned to die. We have become a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to people. We are fools for Christ. Oh, but you're you're wise in Christ. Notice he's being a little snarky there. We're weak, but you're strong. You're distinguished, but we're dishonored. Up to the present hour, we're both hungry and thirsty. We're poorly clothed roughly treated, by the way, even by the church, roughly treated, homeless, don't even have a space anymore. We labor working with our own hands. He was a tent maker. We labor working with our own hands. So on the one hand, here's what you say. The evidence that God has blessed your life is because of all the abundance in your life, but I don't have any. And so you're telling me God isn't blessing my life. He says, I'm a spectacle to the world. He uses an image here, just so you know, that would be like a prisoner of war that is literally being marched through the streets on display as having been defeated. That's me. That's me. And he even envisions what happens to people after they've been paraded through a crowd. After having been captured, they die. He goes, and that's me. That's me. And by the way, eventually he would. Literally. He would. So in verses 13 and 14, he gives a word of advice on how to respond when people are treating you like these people were treating him and others. Let's look at it. He says, when we're reviled, whether, whether by the way, whether from the world or even from within the church, when we are reviled, here's your response. We bless. When we are persecuted, We endure it. When we are slandered, we respond graciously. Even now, we are like the scum of the earth. We're like everyone's garbage. And here's what he says. I'm not writing this to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. In other words, don't go on believing this. Because it isn't true. See, unfortunately the Corinthians view of Paul wasn't very much different from the rest of the world. He says, even you, you view me as scum. You view me as refuse. This is is literally the parts on the street that are removed by the process of cleaning. And you're saying, that's me. That's the debris that literally you just kind of knock out of your way. And while the Corinthians saw their wealth and ease as indicators of God's blessing, Paul saw his suffering as a more accurate measure of Christian faithfulness. Can't get any more opposite than that, can you? I was thinking about this this week. Uh, I, I think I've actually done this in my life too. Let me see if you have. Have you ever had a time in your life where you were faithful to God? You're being obedient to God. You were you were a part of the work of the church. And then something hits you. It could be the suffering of one of your children. It could be personal suffering. I I don't know. I'm just giving you some examples here. Have you ever had that happen before? And then when the hardness of the circumstances really hits your life, you said something like this. What are you doing? What are you doing to me? I, I'm, I'm being faithful to you. Why would you do this to me? Have you ever felt like that? Because I have. Here's, here's what Paul is trying to say to us this morning. Your suffering might be a more accurate measure of your Christian faithfulness than if you have a relative life of ease. And the Corinthians were getting it completely wrong. I want to share an example with you this morning. Uh, J.D. Greer, pastor's Summit Church in North Carolina, was talking about something, a person. There was a Christian leader in his church. And he said, a Christian leader is called to suffer and shouldn't be surprised when the suffering comes. This was the example that he gave and I want to share with you this morning. He said, a few years ago, a very successful businessman in our church and his wife and two kids felt called to resign his high-praying executive job in corporate America and leave his comfortable home in Chapel Hill, North Carolina to go live overseas in a Muslim unreached people group. They had no pastor there. They had no church there. He and his wife and family felt called to be trained to go and to share Jesus with them. And so they did. He resigned his job sold their house, was getting trained to go, and then their son developed a medical condition. This is what he shared with J.D. Greer because he wrote it in his journal. He said, "He said, wait, Lord, is, isn't, this isn't what's supposed to happen. We're submitting to you our lives for your will. We've sold about everything that we have. We're disassembling the American dream, leaving everything and everyone familiar, moving our family from one of the medical capitals of the Southeast to a place with little to no health care and hostile to Jesus to be your witnesses. And then you did this to us. This isn't fair. Have you forgotten us? And later he said this, all a part of his journal. He said he learned that this was all a part of the process. Every last bit of it. That, and I quote his journal, through the suffering or through the unfair treatment, the criticism, the slander, the difficulty, the hardship, Christ was revealed in them and then made known better through them. He said, I learned in real experience something that A.W. Tozer had said long ago. It is doubtful whether God can use a man greatly before he has hurt him deeply. Ever been there? See, your present suffering might be the foundation through which God cultivates you to make you the minister that he's wanting you to be wherever he has you. Nowhere in scripture in any of this does it say, I tell you an easy truth. It says, I'm just telling you the truth. Now, if you're a guest today, I want to say something first. Hello. And we're glad that you're here. It's, it's hard to believe the difficult people that Paul describes here are in the church, right? And that's hard to believe. So if you're a guest, uh, you could look to your right. You can look to your left. And I've learned this over the last five and a half years of being here as the pastor. These are some of the neatest people that you'll ever meet in your life. Take some time to get to know them. Pretty awesome. Pretty awesome. We hope you have enjoyed the podcast. For more information about our church, visit www.woodridge.org.